right. The James Garner one is really good. It's a, a documentary on James Garner? On him running his race team. Okay. Which I forgot they had. And everybody, I think, kind of thinks of like Steve McQueen as the actor, race driver. Or, but, um, Patrick uh, Dempsey. Okay. I'm still <laughs> Paul Newman. All right. 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 Obviously, that's the big name. Yeah. But James Garner was real into it too. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and because he's in like one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Grand Prix. But it's cool because it starts and he's doing like the uh, 250 or something. I don't think think it was the 1000. It was like a shorter version, but he's got the, the Jeep, not the Jeep, the, uh, the Bronco that everybody knows that Parnelli Jones drove. It's the same big old, big old Bronco. Yeah. It's his, his team. Okay. Um, you know, he's like driving that and like the quality of that, um, documentary is really good. Like the one you were, you were just talking about before we started recording. So, which was the 55 Lama film. But yeah, the uh, one that well get um, into it. British television produced one. It's like a half hour recap of the 24 hour Lama race in 1955. And a bunch of these are on Amazon. Like Amazon's like a giant repository of these things. And they're usually better quality than what you find on YouTube. Yeah, for sure. Like upload quality. Cause they, they must have some quality standards that, Amazon Prime has to meet and Amazon Prime has them, I guess, legally because there's like a ton of stuff on there. Like there's one about rallying from like the 50s all the way till the very early 90s. Yeah, it's the group A stuff. That's Mm -hmm. a really good documentary. It's like two, almost three hours long, I think. Totally worth it, though. Yeah. And then, like, a lot of these I've just been putting on in the background as I'm working from home and just, you know, I've got, like, two computers where I'm sitting, so i got one computer doing it and the other computer um, is my work computer. Um, Just, you know, it's either that or music, so doing that. And then what are the ones I watched today? Oh, European. It's, like, racing in Europe. I'm going to have to make a list of these and post them because they're really good for, like, just things to watch, but it's like racing in Europe and it's like an hour and a half and it's a bunch of smaller films in one thing and they're all different. Okay. And it's like newsreel style. Like one is like the 54 Lamar or something. And then, or no, no, it's like 56 or 57. Cause it talks about the accident the year before. And then one is the, Tour de France race, which I didn't know was a thing. They raced Tour de France, France. As in cars, not the bicycle yeah, Tour de France. Not in bicycles. So they did this giant tour of France, and then they would not only would they rally and race between places, they would get to a circuit. They would it was like a uh, like the um, the modern. Um, Oh, what is the modern cannonball called? Why am I one lap of America? Same idea. So okay. you, you have to get from one racetrack to the next racetrack in like 12 hours. So like and, hot, hot rod power tour with road courses instead of drag strips, which is what uh, one lap of America is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm and, just saying another thing to relate it to. So then you'd have to do that. And then what some of them will also be like hill climbs or some of them would be door to door racing. That's crazy. <laughs> or, and like part of it stopped at Lama and they raced Lama, I think, or it was like, and then it was just so very French because they had all the, uh, you know, support area where it's like cafes and all the French food. And it was just very, very cool and crazy. And like, there's like four Ferrari, 250 GTs, right? The coupes. Is that, I think they're. I think I'm thinking the right car. There was a like a coupe called the 250 GT. Sure. Yeah, not it was not like the pontoon fender cars. It was the yeah after that. The early yeah uh, yeah 
the other later than I guess, right? Um, full bodied touring fries, like GT fries. And it's GTO. like those and like, yeah. And like everything else that you could possibly be a sports car in, um, in Europe at the time. So that, that stuff's really cool. Yeah. The, the but, pontoon, the pontoon cars were Testarossa's. Yeah. Uh, and those were like 56, 57. And then the 250 GTO, which is, you know, the iconic kind of fastback Ferrari that was early sixties. Yeah. That's what it is then. Um, you know, I don't know if they're like short wheelbases, but that's the car. And like, of course they're breaking down the side of the road and like guys are fixing them on the side of the road, stuff like that. Oh, and the other thing I started watching on Netflix is the Fangio documentary, which is really good. Yeah, I've heard that was really good too. Obviously, this is all related to our um, Sterling Moss being in the news, sadly, this week. So, Yeah, so welcome to episode 187 of Auto Life Topic. Uh, quite a cold open. But yeah, so we were watching a lot of these documentaries because one, we have the time, and I've been meaning to watch them anyways, but what really pushed me to it was seeing that Sterling Moss passed away this week at the ripe old age of 90, which is pretty cool. That Yeah, I had a pretty good life. Good. Yeah. Especially um, being a racing driver in the 50s. He's one of only a few that even like made it out of the era, right? Yep. So if you get to... Um, you know, if you look up like this, this the uh, st- the statistics, right? So, like between fifty-two and nineteen seventy, thirty-two Grand Prix drivers died. That's like between fifty-six and seventy. Fifty-two and seventy. Okay, so less than twenty years. Yeah. So we, we've talked about this before too, like. The, the difference in time and life between the 50s and the 70s versus like 2000 and 2020, like that 20 years is a big 20 years. So in, in even having that 20 years of changes from a 50s F1 car to a, a Grand Prix car to a 70s Grand Prix car, they were still super dangerous cars. Well, yeah, I mean, they were talking when you read about it, uh, it was the Art and Senna and I'm forgetting the other person's name who died that year they died the same weekend 1994 and then it went all the way till 2015 until an f1 driver was killed again so you know that's like a 20-year span yeah that's a pretty good a pretty good uh safety record versus what it used to be yeah and so for someone like and moss had a couple wrecks too and the fact that he made it out of the era and all the way is pretty insane because he had a really bad wreck uh, in his th- early 30s, and that's when he decided to retire. And that was like in like 62. Yeah. So, but and the other thing too that was crazy, uh, like Fangio made it to be an old man too. Yep. Surprisingly. Yeah, and they, and they raced together. I mean, they were both on a uh, a team drive on the Mercedes in 1955 at that infamous Le Mans race that we were talking about watching the the 30 minute little uh recap from from in period of the race um which is wild because i always the way it was described to me the story was that the mercedes wrecked and then mercedes pulled the team mercedes did wreck the mercedes wrecked was the second that wrecked Yes, the Mercedes wrecked, and then they pulled the team. Right. But it wasn't until the next day. They kept racing all through the night because it took till the next day for them to realize how many people had actually passed away. Yeah, well, that's we're talking about the technology and how people were able to communicate then, too. It was to find the one person who was in charge of the team to say, hey, this is happening, we should do this. It wasn't like a text message, you know, it was a... it was, it was a bit a bit more involved than that. Well, it was right in front of the pits, but they just didn't realize how bad it was. Yeah, that's what I time. mean. That's what I mean. There's no, the instant news is not as easy then, obviously, as it is now. So by the time you get the count, like you see the bad crash, obviously it's bad. 
you see ambulances and fire and everything, but you're so in the world of racing and in the race that you probably didn't even pay attention to much after the fact that the car was gone and they knew the driver got killed, but they didn't even think about the rest of it because they were just in the moment. It was kind of a, uh, there's, there's a lot of controversy about why the race was finished overall, but I mean, it was a long time ago now, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was like, if you watch these early videos, those early videos, these early films, cause they're on film, yep. there's literally like no barriers. It's just like hay bales or some of them, like people are like sitting, especially at Lama, cause it's such a crazy place. They're just people sitting in lawn chairs, like just on the grass next to the yep. road. Yeah, exactly. And like, like if a car went off, they'd like run out and <laughs> like, well, you, you, I can't imagine people running, spectators running onto a, a closed racetrack now, right? Well, only in rally. Not even, it's even less so now. It's it's far less than it used to be. It's the, it's the closest thing to that that still exists. Yeah. This, this would be like you sitting on the breakdown lane on the interstate. Like it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not a wise move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cars don't drive there, but. Can you guarantee they won't? Yeah. Um, yeah it was a crazy thing. I, I can't even imagine, like, in being in 1955, going to the racetrack and sitting on the berm on the outside of a turn. Like, regardless of safety equipment, you know what happens. These cars crash, and if you're going to be in the path of a crash, you're going to be killed. Like, you have to know that going into it. You have to know that sitting in these places. Like, the, the main reason for the wreck at Le Mans in 55 was the fact that the track at the time was already 30 years old. So, 1955, 30 years prior to that is, what, 1925? Yeah. The cars that were running on that racetrack were running 50, 60, maybe 70 mile an hour. Maybe 100 on the on the, on the Mulsanne Street. Now you have oh, these cars. I think, I think faster than that, actually. I'm talking in 25. I don't know how fast oh, they're going oh, in 20, oh, 25. 25. Yeah. In 1955, they're doing 180 miles an hour. Yeah. That was that was the speed on the Mulsanne Street, 180 miles an hour. The last corner coming into the front stretch where the pits are, the cars are doing about 120 miles an hour. Well, and there was no, the, uh, there was no the turn, turn lane for the pits. So there was no like deceleration, acceleration lane, you had to jump on the brakes and pull in the pits. That was it. So that's how the accident happened was a car was stopping to go in the pits and the car that was behind him had to make an emergency maneuver around the car pulling in the pits. And the second Mercedes team car smashed in the back of that car that pulled around the car pulling in the pits. That's what started the whole chain reaction of, of disaster that was that year. So you had the track that was designed in 1925 for cars with 1925 horsepower running without changes in 1955. And I guess there had been drivers that had been campaigning since the late forties, early fifties to change that, to make a pit lane because they were concerned that there was going to be a big accident. People were going to get killed. Yeah. Cause there was no, there was no pit wall. And then, Oh, the other crazy thing was the air brake that the Mercedes had. Mm-hmm. It was a hydraulic, I think. Yeah, you're you're watching the film and before they explain what it was. You're like, oh, why is the tunnel cover like coming off of the top? Yeah, but it's an air brake. So, you know, like a modern, uh, a couple of supercars use it where they hit the brakes and the the rear flap, and it's like on a when you're on an airliner and you're coming into land. Sometimes they'll flip up the top uh, airfoils. My dad's going to yell at us because he knows what they're called. And I can't remember. <laughs> ailerons. They're not ailerons because I think ailerons control things. There's actually a name for the fl- They're air brakes is literally what yeah. they call them. Actually. Now I think of it. <laughs> we're going to call them. There's a literal them, air brake. We're gonna call them, just, just to aggravate, just to aggravate Tony. We're going to call them air walls from now on. The air wall goes <laughs> up and slows down the airplane. But no, on, on the back of that Mercedes, that thing is as wide as the car. And it's probably, I'd say, maybe three feet tall when it's up in the air. It's yeah. huge. It's a massive. It's like it's like putting the hood up on your car going down the highway. It's a huge, huge airfoil or air brake. And it was controlled by a lever in the car. So not only is the driver of the car steering, accelerating, braking, clutching, shifting. Now he's also using his obviously third arm to control this 
giant air brake going into the turns to slow down from, again, 180 at the peak of the Mulsanne Strait to the turn at the end of the Mulsanne Strait. They're probably doing 35, 40 miles an hour. So that must have felt helped. insane too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially like, with the braking and tire technology of the time, it must have been so much better braking than just the regular drum brakes and well, probably disc brakes actually by then. But narrow little tires and 1955 brakes must have been crazy. Yeah, and then just to just to even have the thought of that, because aerodynamics in cars wasn't really well understood but they knew enough from airplanes that they could use this thing to slow it down yeah that was crazy it was probably would have been if they continued to use it i'm sure it would have been made illegal the next year uh sure and then uh one of the there's a couple stories i was reading about uh, sterling moss so he's famously for mila migle i probably pronounced that wrong um, he set the record that was never broken of doing it in like 10 hours and like a ha- like 10 hours and 40 minutes or something, which is a thousand kilometers and it's a circuit of Italy. Crazy. On, on, uh, just surface roads, which not is closed public, not closed public roads, right? Yep. So the original, you know, long distance rallying, right? So it was basically, you know, the way they started uh, kind of racing, and you'll see this in the Fangio doc, is that it looked a lot like rally, what they called Grand Prix or or, uh, racing, was because they didn't have racetracks. They just raced point to point, uh, you know, like over multiple days. So basically, it's like what Dakar is now or what rally was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, where there were multiple day events. And then, you know, eventually those went to stages. But yeah, it's just, that's kind of how it started, which is kind of wild. Yeah, it's an interesting era of racing when you start getting into it. There was a lot of learning and developing that was still going on for sure. And then drivers would jump into anything. Yeah. That's probably the coolest thing. And there's not too many drivers today that do it. There are some. Uh, I know like Fernando Alonso is probably famous for, for doing Formula One and endurance racing. And he tried Dakar this year. So he's probably the most recent one to really try a bunch of different stuff. But there's quite a few drivers over the years that have done it. But it's not like super common because of like sponsorships and well, sponsorships and, con- and contracts now too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like any, just like any sport, the big contracts and the not managers, but publicists or not publicists, we call them agents. The agents kind of dictate mm. a lot more of what happens now than just the desire to go ahead and do it. Oh, and this is my favorite story I read today about Sterling Moss was that at Sebring uh, during an endurance race. He saw a photographer that he recognized and a, a couple other photographers. They were at one of the turns. Now, Sebring, an old airfield converted to a racetrack, of course, at this time was basically laid out with hay bales, no barriers. So photographers are probably sitting on the hay bales. It's a hot day in Florida, as it usually is in March. And right. I guess they're all drinking or, Coke. Or every day. Yeah. And somehow... He had in the middle of this race, he had the spatial awareness, Sterling Moss, to see them drinking Coke and and got their attention and made this motion with his hand like of drinking, <laughs> like, hey, I'm thirsty. So Sebring's a long enough track that somebody grabbed a Coke for him and then went out on the track, looked for him coming down <laughs> toward that corner. He slowed and the guy handed him the Coke <laughs> as he was driving by. Unreal. Which, like, just to think of that today, it's, like, completely impossible. But, like, it, it seems like it would be a Coke ad, right? Like, it, you would right. write it it'd for be, an it'd ad. It would be a joke more than an actual thing that happened. Well, you got to think today, too, the uh, the amount of harnesses and things holding you in the car would not allow that now. Mm-mm. 
No, but so that was a really cool thing. And uh, so, yeah, the uh, Starling Moss, known as the uncrowned champion. Yeah, the, the most successful racing driver never to have won a championship. Yeah, and it's really because, uh, you know, there's drivers that can be like that and, you know, they become fan favorites because of their personalities or style, you know, like the Coke story, or they're generally just like really nice people. And I guess that was uh, Sterling Moss to a fault because he could have won a championship, but this other guy really blanking on his name i did a really terrible job of this but apparently this other guy was going to be disqualified from a grand prix uh for some reason and starling moss uh like campaigned on this guy's account said like no no no, it's okay and then the guy he ended up losing the championship the world championship title by like yeah to him by like a point the other thing was a lot of times he wouldn't run in a series for full series. He'd bounce around from car to car and it's race style to race style. And um, love to race British cars, even though they weren't always the best cars. Right. No, I never met him personally, um, but he came to Lime Rock quite a few times and not, not too long ago, probably in, you know, mid middle teens, 13, 14, 15. He was there a couple of times. Um, and I know quite a few people that got to spend some time with him when he was there. And they all said that he was a just a gentleman to 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 no, to no fault at all. Yep, and he was a great yeah, guy. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. So I guess you know if that if your legacy is that you're a super nice person, I guess that's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a well known as being one of the best drivers in the world, and you're also not a dick. Like that's a pretty good pretty good combo. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, rest in peace. He did pass away, but he was ninety, and that's certainly a uh, a good, solid, full life. So, all right. So, moving on from that, uh, we have got some news, and one of it was Sterling Moss passing away. The other thing is esports is, especially racing, is like really coming into its own. Uh, because of all the shutdowns and you know F1 cart NASCAR global rallycross IMSA even SCCA I think is getting in on the game pun intended and uh, I was reading an article over on the verge about e-racing and they had a really a couple of neat quotes that I thought were really really stood out to me so um, Parker Kligerman is a, uh, a driver who, uh, races for, um, he's like one of the, I think he races exclusively on eNASCAR on iRacing. Okay. Uh, he says one reason for the popularity is the similarity of the skill sets. It's the only esport that connects in such a parallel with the real world. He explained the reason you see so many real world drivers doing it this all the time is it's not only fun, but it literally in many ways can feel like I'm doing something that could be helping me as a driver. Uh, he said, that's obviously not the case with other sports. If some kid beats LeBron James on NBA 2K, that doesn't mean that kid is going to get in a basketball court and outshoot him. Uh, but the funny part about this stuff is that someone gets in on here and outraces me or outraces William Bryan, another, another driver. If they were to get the chance to get in a real car, it might translate really well. Which we talked about last episode or episode before or whatever it was and we talked about esports and the, like yeah. the Gran Turismo Academy was was just that mm-hmm. yeah and so this other person James Pike of Podium Esports who is actually the production company that is doing all the NASCAR the eNASCAR and all the stuff for broadcast I didn't realize there was a whole thing behind that I thought it's it's more than just like putting the stream on TV there's actual production to it uh so he said, and a lot of that simply comes to the technology at play. Uh, anybody worth their weight in salt is running with a wheel and pedals, just yeah, like you would in real life. <laughs> yeah. The only real thing, the only thing that's really removed are all the G-forces. 
but a lot of the same sorts of skills are much more applicable in sim racing compared to shooting a jumper on a controller versus shooting a jumper in real life. Makes sense. I I still have a... I still disagree to a, to a point. About what? I Listen, I... I drive a car in real life and I drive a car in a yeah. video game. And to me, there's not a lot that translates back and forth. I do understand the using the video games to learn a track. That certainly is something that modern race car drivers have that, you know, drivers of the past did not have, but I'm not so sure that it's. I think the key is that we haven't done it with a real good wheel. The only other wheel I've used was the one that was for Gran Turismo 3. Okay. Um, the same here. Which apparently was an okay wheel for the time, but now wheels are, like, really, really good. And I guess it's it's literally a game changer to use a wheel once you get used to it. I know I'm, I'm trying to find one because, unfortunately, for us console players, you and They're I play like Xbox. $400. They're crazy expensive. You have more. And here's the thing. I I, I use a console because it's just easy. I'm just not into building computers. You know, I know how to use computers. I'm good with computers. I just don't have any interest in building a computer. It's like, to me, building a computer is like building a race car. If you've got a place to use it, that's fine. Otherwise, it's pretty limited. So, you know, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm actually playing more games now than I have, you know, recently because there's nothing else to do, but I'm generally a pretty casual gamer. So like a fully blown dedicated PC is just not for me. It's not a good use of money. Yeah, it's not. I can spend that much money on cars and uh, people are going to at me with, uh, it's cheap to build or whatever. It was, is easy enough and like mindless to just buy an xbox and now everything's got cross play for the most part so but anyways i digress yeah a wheel for an xbox is like 400 dollars. so i'm trying to find a used one um it's kind of a bummer but i really want to try it and especially because we got into dirt rally or dirt rally 2 which is impossible it's full-on sim so it's super super hard um you know forza 7 still bridges that gap where it's got some good simulation to it but it's got a little softness of arcade forgiveness yeah and if you're a hack you can sometimes do well exactly whereas i'm Um, a hack so sometimes i do well in forza but man i haven't completed a rally yet in dirt (laughs) dirt 2 it's punishes like it just punishes you it's so hard um but you know the car just gets reset and there's no big deal to it however there have been some real life consequences in esports uh for racing and you know we all get mad at video games and uh i think we've all been known to rage quit and then but uh bubba wallace nascar driver did this last weekend uh, during the e-NASCAR race that was on TV and actually ended up losing one of his sponsors in real life. Yeah, because he got angry at the situation, wasn't taking it serious enough, was looking at it as a video game, and his sponsor was like, no, you're on TV. We sponsor you to be on TV. You can't just quit and not do this anymore. Yeah, it was kind of a, like, I guess something kind of silly happened. The other guy, like, it wasn't hit the the accident wasn't his fault, but you know, still it's like, I get his point where, you know, it's just a silly game. It's not real, but it's real enough right now that people are paying money to put their name on your car. At the end of the week, that paycheck that he cashed for doing that was real. And that's what he should have thought about. (laughs) Exactly. Like you or I can rage quit playing Forza because the only thing that happens is the people that are still playing will laugh at you after you've signed off, but all you did was stop playing a game that you paid for. Nobody's paying you to play that game. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Um, yeah, that's, I, I, I get their point for sure. 
I get his point too, because again, I'm not huge on this iRacing as replacement for racing, but I get his point, but I definitely get his sponsor's point. But a lot of people do take it really seriously, and it it has given some good racing, I guess. So, and it's a good way to get seat time for the mo- like without getting seat time. I don't know; it's weird. Like what, what it comes down to right now is the almighty dollar, because NASCAR, F one, Global Rallycross, all these companies all have these big sponsorship deals and these TV deals, and they're trying to push anything they can to not lose money right now. So that's what it really comes down to, obviously. Well, a lot of these guys already had sim rings anyways, so it really was kind of a no-brainer for them to just start doing it, right? And it it gives people entertainment. It takes people's minds off it. I think it's pretty cool. I know you were like kind of like on the fence about it. I, I gave it a shot. It was entertaining for 10 minutes and I couldn't do it beyond that. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the lack of real world, the lack of real world consequences in the game itself, or if it's, I just using it for the blood sport. Not that it's a blood sport, but the guys are going to drive differently when, if they wreck the car, they're out of the race forever. There's going to be a lot more careful racing. There's going to be a lot more. Well, maybe they should play dirt rally because I set it up in our leagues so that you can exactly. have a total off and the car is junk. Exactly. <laughs> speaking, um, of, spe- speaking of which, if you do own dirt rally and you're a listener and you want to play, we probably put together a listener league too so we can play for times. I mean, they can already go into the club I made. There is an auto off topic dirt rally to club. Right. Uh, just go in there, request it, and I'll add you. Uh, if you're a real rally driver for some reason listening to this, I might not add you because. <laughs> no, we still will. <laughs> we still will. Um, we need somebody to take down the current king. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other stuff going on in e racing, which is kind of unfortunate. So, Kyle Larson. Yeah, he said a uh, word that was not good. I. Didn't really know who he was until like two days ago. Um, apparently, he is a um, Asian American. Well, he's mixed race. He's white and Asian American, and he came up through the NASCAR Diversity Series uh, or program, which I didn't race know. Was a, which I didn't know was a thing. Well, it, NASCAR does have a diversity problem, and you yep. know they're working to fix it. And then, so he was on a live stream and he said the N-word and he thought he was on a private channel, but he was really streaming to the world. Uh, The account sounds like he was using it in kind of a joking way to his friend or spotter or whoever it was. And, you know, unfortunately it's like, it doesn't matter. Like it's not, (laughs) that's not a word you can use. It's just not. Yeah, well, we, we were talking about our post earlier today, given the whole situation, and it was, I'm a dirty word, I'm a racial slur. And the dirty word was like, yeah, sometimes it's okay to express me with frustration. And the, the, the racial slur was like, yeah, it's never okay to use me. And that's kind of what we had happened here. Like, he, he used a word he knew he shouldn't have used, and if he's going to use it in his private conversation with his teammate you know that's not the kind of personality that that team wants or the or the the sport wants and you know fortunately they took it seriously and he's lost his job because of it yeah he was uh, originally suspended and then uh, later on he he ended up they cut his contract which is pretty crazy it's crazy but i mean it's it's a real world responsibility and you can't be that way it's you know it's it's it doesn't look good for the I mean, sport, obviously, but it doesn't look good for you as a human either. So yeah, it's not. It doesn't reflect on your team. It it seemed a little harsh. Maybe he should have uh, had to do yeah. something else. I I disagree. Uh, it's it's uh it happens in every sport, and that's yeah. It should stick along the same line, especially when you're dealing with somebody or so or the or the sport that has a history of uh, not being appropriate. So it needs to be a hard line, and I'm I'm glad they did it. So yeah, and yeah, again, a had he been driving his normal car and not an esports car, all of those radio channels also go out to the general public, and anybody can hear them at any time. 
This is true. I didn't even think of that. So, yeah. I mean, it's just like having a hot mic or something. Like, you just got to... Well, first of all... You, you just, just behave the way you would always behave as a normal exactly. human being, and life will be okay. Yeah. Take, t- take certain things out of your vocabulary and don't even worry about them. Like, that's how we make things better. Exactly. Um, all right. So, another bit of news that's near and dear to our heart is... A little, uh, a little more the, lighthearted, I hope. Yeah, much, much more. Well, yeah, you could say more lighthearted. A different... A different type of well, it's, it's not it's not about uh death or a systemic racism so we're gonna be okay yeah all right good uh cannibal record oh jesus it has <laughs> fallen again has it though um supposedly from the people that know it it's accurate okay it's a real thing so i thought there were some questions about the legitimacy of this attempt I mean, according to the video on YouTube I watched from Ed Bolin, who was one of the one of the record holders over the years, he claims that he saw the GPS data, saw stuff. So it's it's real. Okay. Um, it's like twenty six hours and change, and just in November that um, Arnie Tolman, oh, Tolman, yeah, uh, did it in like twenty seven hours and change. So they beat it by almost an hour. Now, which is pretty insane. They did it without really using ways and spotter planes because of the COVID shutdown. Right. Just just less people on the road. Now, does it matter? Do we care anymore? Uh, Ed Bowen made a good point that just because their brand of rule breaking is different from him, his brand of rule breaking. Neither one of them are right. <laughs> right. They both yeah. did something illegal. He said it's like me being a cocaine dealer calling a heroin dealer a terrible person. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, a, that's a valid point. I, I think what part of the problem is is that the, there hasn't been any bad PR from one of these attempts. You know, Ed Bolin or any of these guys at this time have, haven't had a bad wreck where an innocent person was hurt or killed. Um. And there hasn't been any, or even injured or inconvenienced in any way. So there hasn't been any bad press for it. So it's kind of been looked at as, hey, this is just the, you know, quote unquote, bad boys club doing something that they want to do. You know, it's no harm, no foul. And I think that's part of the problem is these people are now afraid that, hey, this is a record that can be broken. Let's keep attempting it. And it's going to become less and less serious as it goes along. And eventually it's going to come to two 16-year-olds in a clapped out, you know, 2005 Camaro. And they're going to wind up causing some serious issues. Maybe. I mean, it takes. it still takes planning to do it. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't take planning. But what I'm saying is the less serious it's taken, the more opportunity there is for a problem. Like if you look I at the setup. I don't think guys didn't take it seriously. But if you look at the setup that these the most recent team used, and I, let me rephrase that before I say it. I'm not saying they didn't take it seriously. I'm saying that the more popular and the more mainstream this record breaking becomes, the more people are going to attempt it and the less people will take it seriously. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but if you do look at this last attempt that was done, they had like a couple extra gas cans in the trunk, like big marine style gas containers in the trunk. They didn't have the car necessarily especially outfitted in any super safe way. Well, that to me is more in the spirit of the original versus the over plan tens of thousands of dollars spent. Which, on the more recent stuff. Which, again, is why I'm saying that these guys did not take it seriously and they didn't do anything completely reckless other than the event itself. Um, but I'm just saying that I think part of the concern now is that it becomes so mainstream and becomes so popular and becomes so... This is a record that, that anybody can just go out and do, technically. You know, there's no FIA standards. There's no rule book. And I think that's part of the fear that's out there now with people that have done it is... They don't want it to become a a stain on the history of the event and what they have done, and they also don't want anybody innocent to get hurt. 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, it probably at a certain point it should probably just stop like for like ultimate time. I mean, I I would do it just to retrace the route in something weird or just in general. I don't want to break the record, but you know, maybe if I drove it in like two days, it'd be kind of fun to try. Right. Just no, to say that. I did it. No, I get that for sure. But again, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that you're going to be the one either. I'm just saying that there's going to be something bad will eventually happen, and it will, it will stain the history and all of the previous records. Eventually, um, but yeah. So I th- it I happened. Think, it's what, done. What's, what's the average speed at tw- twenty six hours? It's got to be ninety plus miles an hour average, right? It's over. It's over a hundred. Right, so you're sustaining an average speed of 100 miles an hour. That means that car is going flat out at some point for a long period of time. You know, 140, 150, 160 miles an hour on public roads is not something that can be condoned by anybody. Because I think, if I'm remembering correctly, when Tolman broke it in November, I feel like their stopped time was like 20 minutes total. Something ridiculously low like that, yeah. Yeah. So, so the only way to make the yeah. record keep going up is to go faster and faster, and that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But, you know, it shows that at least, I guess the infrastructure exists for faster speed limits, and if we had less traffic, you could drive a little bit faster. So, you know, that's the one thing I hope from all this is that they realize that more people regularly can work from home thus reducing the stress on our infrastructure for travel and fuel use just by that. Like if yeah. you could just cut, cut those things down, you do a lot to help the environment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and still people get to still keep their cars if we just don't need to use them as much. Yeah. I've, I've certainly transferred to working from home without an issue here. So, I mean, <laughs> be kind of nice if I could go out to dinner, you know. Well, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying this is ideal right now because it's certainly not. But you know what I mean. But yeah, for the most part, like it's also a super bummer how inexpensive gas is right now. You really can't go out for like a long drive. Um, uh, I haven't seen a change in gas here. Oh, here on the coast, it's. Uh, the three gas stations right near my house have been under two dollars for a couple of weeks. No, we're still at like two seventy. Uh, that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's what it was before this all started. It hasn't changed at all. Weird. So, and but, again, it, you, I think that it's not that you can't take a long drive. You just can't take a drive with a destination where anybody else is going to be. <laughs> you know. Well, that's the th- well. Here's the thing, though. Where you are, you can drive for a while and remain in the same state and not encounter someone yeah here i can't do that if i drive an hour north i'm in another state you can go west (laughs) yeah but the point is to not be a jerk i'm not really going anywhere outside of my town like i'm keeping it within like five miles because the whole point is that you don't accidentally interact with someone that has something you don't want or you accidentally give that to someone else without realizing it, even though you're trying to be a part. I don't know. Well, the way we've been doing it is uh, we safely fuel up here in town and then we don't drive further than we can get back on the same tank of fuel. And the only time we got out of the enough. car, the only, time, the only time we've gotten out of the car is when we're pretty remote and there's nobody else around at all. And we just take a look at the scenery and then stretch our legs and get back in the car and head back. Yeah, we purposely See, avoid a parking lot with anybody else in it, and we're certainly doing, you know, because it just unfortunately, I gotta get out of the house. <laughs> you know. Yeah. See that. See that's a smart way to do it. That option to do it here doesn't really exist too much because there's so much population here, and it's hard to escape population. And then just people in general are just out anyways. But regardless, that's um, that's why I've been playing a lot of video games. Yeah, I hear you. Same here. Um, but you have been doing some project car updates, right? Or nope. scale project car updates. Say no, no. Sorry. No, no project cars. 
the yeah, no, scale one, one, ones, though. One of the things I've been doing to uh, fill my time here is I pulled out some model car stuff because I can't work on real cars because, unfortunately, right now I'm living in an apartment and don't have a garage, and the rule here is no working on cars in the parking lot. So um, I picked up, uh, I bought on eBay a one thirty second scale Toyota pickup truck. That's a replica of the Toyota that I'm working on, the little lightning truck. So I worked on that a little bit. The unfortunate thing I am running into is I don't have a lot of supplies here. Um, I still haven't moved all of my stuff from Massachusetts to Arizona because I don't have a place yet. Wait until we have a house to bring the rest of my stuff out. So I don't have all of my model car stuff. Um, I was a little short on some paints. So I used what I had and said, I'll paint it blue and it'll be good enough. And then I realized after I painted it blue, I said that blue is nowhere near the blue of the truck (laughs) and I need to get some paints. So not going out to stores makes it difficult to get paints because you're buying them from the internet. Um, and then it's hard to actually see the colors by the picture on your screen. Unfortunately, I noticed because I got a blue that's pretty much purple. So Mm. that's not, that's not ideal. So I've put that aside for a little bit. Uh, and I pulled out some other, other kits that I had lying around. I just built a, an old release Ravel Datsun four by four pickup. It's like an 83, 84 Datsun pickup. I'll be sure to put some pictures of that up, but it was definitely uh, it was fun to get building models again because it's been a while since we've done it, and uh, fully enjoyed it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't done it in a while. I think what happened was we had family visit with kids old enough to run around the house without somebody paying attention to them the entire time. So I didn't want to have model car stuff out. Uh, right. So I put it all away, and then I just never set it back up. But I know the glue I have is probably dried up, so I don't even have glue. Yeah. Fortunately, I had happened to just purchase super glue for something unrelated, probably I don't know two months ago. So I had fresh glue because yeah, all my stuff was dried up pretty good too. So, but no, it's 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 How? been it's been good. Uh, that that Datsun pickup truck kit I had was an old stalled build from a long time ago, um, and I had some decals that didn't quite fit the truck they had to get off of it and i learned that uh acetone nail polish remover takes off the uh water slide model car decals pretty yeah. pretty easily without touching the paint underneath so that was good cool i mean i have like sort of project car updates sure what do you do i mean i <laughs> I got for mail order. I think I talked about this. I got some Meguiar's, the ceramic hybrid wax, new stuff. Okay. And, you know, the cloth had no wax on it from the dealer because they don't do that anymore. Right. And from sitting out in the yard, it had a couple of bird shit stains on it. And they ate into the paint, which is super cool. Like really awesome. Brand new car, less than 3,000 miles still. Burns in the paint. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, if birds aren't real, I don't know why their poop ruins my, uh, paint, but the, uh, they leach battery acid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Conspiracy soft. The, uh, right above the driver's door handle, there was two spots and I cleaned it off pretty quickly and it still burned the paint. And it was right where if you were walking up with a car, the perfect angle to see the two spots in the reflection because the car is perfectly shiny and there's just two dull spots. I'm like, ah, uh, but luckily I had some Meguiar's like ultimate compound and with just some hand rubbing, it came out and the one on the roof it's minimized, but you have to really look for it. So I went over the whole car with, uh, the clay bar. It's like, a new Meguiar's, it's a foam pad, like a foam applicator pad with a synthetic clay on the back of it. Okay. That works with the ceramic uh, spray wax as a lubricant to pull stuff. So obviously the paint wasn't too bad. It had some stuff stuck in it, but it, it cleaned up pretty it cleaned up pretty fast. Threw a coat of wax on it with the ceramic stuff. Phenomenal. Like super easy on, super easy off. It's been raining the last couple of days. There's like, you can see all the water is beating. It doesn't turn uh, black trim white. It's like really good stuff, especially on new paint and daily drivers. 
and like awesome. some birds, some birds pooped on it. I just went out with the hose because it was going to rain again. I just sprayed it off. It came right off with the hose. Awesome. Um, and Stephanie's now it's pr- car it's protected now against any. Uh... It's sealed. Yeah, I'll probably do it one more time in the middle of summer, and then once in the fall, just to get some nice layers of it. And because I usually do fall, yeah, spring and fall. Um, Stephanie's car, I've waxed it in the past. Uh, I don't think I waxed it last fall. I just didn't have time. It was definitely due for it. Uh, it was looking a little dingy because it's that cool khaki gray. You can kind of see it. Uh, washed the car. Went to do the clay bar. A lot of stuff was coming off. And then I'm looking over the car and there's all these little black spots and then rust spots that were like specks. Yeah, that so happens. I don't know. Yeah, what it came from. Maybe it comes off your brakes, driving down the highway, like just bits of iron get stuck to the paint. You you notice it a lot more if you live near train tracks because it comes from the train wheels and the and the train tracks. Hmm. Um, you don't live near train tracks there though, but you do have no. the delivery of the train tracks behind your house that do occasionally get used, right? No, they're not that close. They're not. They're like way far off. Well, I think it's just from, I don't know, just that's driving. One of the, that's one of the common things is is from train tracks. Um, and she spent a lot of time with that car in Boston. And that would yeah. certain, certainly be a, a potential place for it to have happened. Um, just because Yeah, just industrial fallout. Subway, industri- yeah, exactly. But, but I ended up having to compound the entire car because yep. by hand. Yeah, it sucks. Because it, it, yeah, it was a pain. It took me two days to do it. I did one half the car, sealed it went out, made sure the car didn't have any dust on it, redid it. Then the paint was nice and smooth, like it should have been after clay barring. Kind of waste time clay barring it. But yeah, threw the wax on that thing, easy on, easy off. The car looks like really good. It's rained a couple of times, both cars. I mean, because they haven't really been driven. And actually, I kind of drove, I think I drove my car in the rain a little bit, but it was like down the well, street. The, the good thing but, is now with that stuff on there, it'll be easier to remove that next time. So yeah. And it, it looks really good. Like it really, it's, it's amazing what a good coat of like, you know, good polishing and a wax does to a car. Yeah. Like really glows. Like the paint gets really deep and you don't notice how dingy it is until you do it. Yeah. I've, I've had, especially on a lighter colored car, like her car or a white car. I have a lot of experience from being in, in the body shop industry in the North shore, especially in, in the East coast where people would come in and think their, their factory paint was failing and the car was rusting from underneath. Um, when in reality, oh, yeah, yeah. when in reality, it was that same industrial kind of fallout. And I'd say 90% of the time, if I asked them if they lived or worked near someplace where trains were, um, they would almost always say yes. So it's, I, and that's what it's normally caused by. It's, is that. I'm wondering if it's from just driving on the interstate to and from Boston because yeah, more be. of it was stuck to the back of the car, the hatch where the air would stick stuff as you're driving it was yep. up the sides and then on the back and not really on the roof yep so yeah on the back is definitely commonplace for it too i remember one in particular was a uh, toyota corolla um and it was all stuck up underneath the spoiler so it actually looked like the spoiler the trunk was rusting under the spoiler is what it looked like because it was actually like streaking down the down the trunk lid but all it was oh, just weird it's all sitting on top of the white paint so yeah, no, it's not. It's not uncommon yeah, so in really a light colored car. No, so I was really happy with the way that stuff came out, and uh, it's it's good to have new cars all protected. <laughs> I also went through and cleaned them up, got rid of all the winter dinginess inside. You know, the the rubber mats fill up with all the sand and stuff from your feet. Yep. So I emptied them out, vacuumed it, and then I love I love the Tough Stuff brand of foam spray. Yes. I think it smells really good. It deodorizes the inside of the car. Yeah, do not accidentally buy the great stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> that, that, would not, that would not be good. No. What, it's, it's the same company, I think, isn't it? It's a very similar looking can. Uh, it's I'm a, not sure. Same colors, but a little yeah. different. I will say you were right about the, the Volkswagen vinyl. That does clean really nicely. The vinyl seats? Not that my seats, not yeah. that my seats were that dirty, but well, again, like I said, when I first got mine, my car's a thirteen, so it's, you know, what's that? Seven years old now. And when yeah. I was doing Uber, people get in my car and they're like, "Oh, what is this? This is nice." I'm like, "Oh, it's a Jetta." 
Oh, what year is it? It's a 13. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> People thought it was brand new, so. I probably I probably sold quite a few of them. I should have been a, a, a Jetta salesman. Yeah. But yeah. nonetheless. Yeah, it does clean up real nice, real easily. It's very, very long wearing too. It doesn't wear out like a you get in a, a leather seat car from the same era as mine, like a 13. And a lot of them have stress cracks and lines and I think it'd be Yeah, I really need to do some research on like a good restore of leather product for the Galant. It's the seats aren't bad, but they need something. They're just kind of dried out. Yeah, the problem is the best way to do it is to actually remove the seat cover and soak it. But that's that's not obviously simple. Yeah, I I know you could put trash you could spray stuff on them, put trash bags on them. I think people do sometimes. Yep. And, and let them sit in the sun. Yep. And it seeps in a little better. Yeah, maybe I'll do that this summer because I I would like to take the carpet out of that and the carpet out of the uh, truck because they could use to be shampooed and sprayed right. out, especially the truck being beige. It's just I don't you don't realize how much coffee people have spilled in an old car. I know I personally have spilled at least one cup of coffee on the passenger. Oh, that's right, you did. Arrow. Yeah, <laughs> I think it wasn't my fault. But I think I did spill it. I think yeah. it's because I didn't know your cup holder was broken, and I put it in the cup holder and it tipped to the side. But that's yeah. neither here nor there now at this point. All right. So anyway, anything else? I don't think so this week. So right now you can find us on Forza. <laughs> I yeah. am Raced in Anger. Uh, I think you're what Brad Bomber five eighteen. That's me. On Xbox Live. That goes. That goes uh, back to uh, Call of Duty days. Yep. Yeah. If you find, if you have Dirt Rally 2.0, you can go into the clubs and look for it. It's actually named it Auto Off Topic. Yep. Go in there, request to join. I'll check it every couple of days or send me a message that you requested to join it. I'll add you. Uh, there's two rallies in there right now. You probably won't make it in time by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, otherwise, you can follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. And Brad, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. Uh, and I've been actively posting a bunch on uh, the Gearhead Project forums under the name just Brad D. Do you have a uh, build thread for the Toyota yet? I do. Cool. Yep. I'll, I'm going to go check it out. Yep. It's, caught up, to, it's uh, caught up to like right where we are right now. Um, unfortunately, with the uh, uh, COVID stuff, it's, great, it's stalled quite a bit. So I'm, I'm actually going to transition it to temporarily be a build thread of the scale model Toyota pickup. I think. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I got um, I got some build threads I should do while I'm hanging out. Yeah, that's uh, I figured. It's also, something to do is go on there and, and start building that forum up and get some more traffic going through there. And I uh, I have a bunch of pictures I pulled aside to do a a thread, not so much a build thread, but a progress thread, I guess, on the Eclipse because um, that's you know come a long way since i got it too yeah that counts yeah that's like i've been doing i've been trying to go back and get all my posts from when i was putting the galan together and then do like a ret- retrospective on like all right i did this i would definitely do it again i would not do it again why i would or wouldn't do it again right and a little, little backstory on how it lasted from 2011, 2012 till now. So and I, I used you kind of as an example on that. As I've been creating this thread for the truck too, um, I created a Word document, well, a, a Google document, I should say, yep. where each post I have the text saved page by page so that if I ever wanted to do it somewhere else, it's as simple as a, you know, copy paste situation. A little copy so, pasta. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Cool. A, a thought. All right. So, As always, keep guards analog and aim for the roses.